0: We think we've heard of that before. Stranger stories every day. Wonder what tomorrow's gonna bring. So listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing. Hello. Hi, and welcome back.
1: So this is the last of the weirdest thing podcast before yeah. we start a weirdest thing podcast <laughs>
0: yes we won't have a new logo um, no it's it's
1: essentially uh, it'll essentially and, and,
0: be the same thing
1: yeah and then and then we will have like occasional the weirdest things over the summer whenever yes. you have time <laughs>
0: yes, yes. yeah this is
1: uh you're 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 done for a while
0: I am done for a while do you want to introduce yourself before I get into that
1: yeah I guess so I guess I should do that uh, yeah. my name is Scotty Wilder <laughs> I'm one of your co-hosts of this uh, yep. extremely professional podcast
0: yes and i I am Amelia Amporo, the other co-host of this extremely professional podcast. And now I think I just bumped my microphone. So if you heard mm-hmm. a word sound, sorry. Um, <laughs> and now that like contracts have been signed and everything. And I, by the time this hits your ear holes, I will actually already be gone. But I can now officially announce that I will be leaving for the summer just for the summer mm-hmm. uh, because I have a contract at Barter Theater, my old stomping grounds in Abingdon, yep. Virginia. And I'm going to go there. I'm going to do two shows with them this summer. Um, awesome. And they are, if anybody's curious. They are nine to five, the musical and another play called always a bridesmaid. So I'm super excited about that. I will be, I, like Scotty said, I will be gone for most of the summer, but I'll hopefully be able to pop back in
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: occasionally. And then once I get back, you know, we'll, we'll,
1: you we'll know, start we'll, this thing we'll back get, up again. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm real excited that you're doing nine to five the musical.
0: It's so, okay. It might have been at some point during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. And it also might've been like 10 years ago, who knows at this point, (laughs) but at some point in my recent history, I was like, Oh, I haven't, I'm nine to five. I think I saw it on like HBO or something. I was like, I'm going to watch that movie. It, is hella <laughs> problematic like not <laughs> even just the fact that the boss oh, yeah. played by Dabney Coleman right is Dabney Coleman yeah is like a raging misogynist oh, yeah. um and and like rapist he's a borderline mm-hmm. rapist yep. um he's also i mean just like casual racism all Mm -hmm. over that movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really struck me when I was watching it because I have not watched that movie since I was a kid is that I was like, oh, this is just how we used to live. Like just dropping, you know, like people weren't necessarily going so far as like dropping the N word, but like any other ethnicity or Mm -hmm. culture if there was a slow drop for it, they were.
1: Now, to be fair, yes. um, and it's been a l- hell of a long time since I've actually seen that movie. But my memory is that the Dabney Coleman character is like pretty solidly like the villain. Yes. Like He is He is not like presented like there, he's Correct. not you're not meant to ad- admire him in any way. Correct. So at least like, you know, they made the villainous character, the like weird misogynist, rapey racist, because right. you also had problem of movies like Revenge of the Nerds in the mm-hmm. 80s where it's like you're rooting for the fucking weird fucking creeper
0: rapey yeah know. no the and this is what I don't remember because I think I was like oh I gotta I gotta tap out from this movie because <laughs> it's a lot what I don't <laughs> remember is if that stuff was only in the realm of the Dabney Coleman character or if there was like other bits of casual racism yeah that were happening I That's mean my, I mem-
1: my memory because I was probably middle school was when I watched it uh-huh. Um, so it was like, you know, 30 fucking years ago. My memory is that it was pretty much his character, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Like- I just, I have a pretty clear memory of watching that movie and being like, that dude fucking sucks. Um, Yeah. But I think. And I love Dabney Coleman. I thought he did a great job of being a real shitty human, but.
0: For sure. But I think that's the thing is that because we were just sort of like, we were all used to the casual racism that was going on. I Mm -hmm. don't know if it would have stood out to us when we watched the movie as much as it would now.
1: I remember noticing it, but I also like my memory is that it was, it was played for laughs in a way you couldn't do now. Oh my God. so i would be really curious how they approach it in the stage show yeah. i'm excited for you to do it because i as we have discussed on the show i fucking love dolly parton so just so you're like dolly parton adjacent with this show basically.
0: yes well and i also i'm also the understudy for the dolly parton part so that's, that's gonna be that's ridiculous great. I, I mean dolly parton
1: costume and, fitting. and lily tomlin right what do you mean In the movie, it was Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin. And Jane Fonda. And Jane Fonda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm fans of all of them. So just the fact that you're in a show that like. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember Megan Hilty in the stage, like when they produced it on Broadway, Megan Hilty, who, if you've ever watched the show Smash, uh, she she played Ivy. She played the Dolly Parton role. Allison Janney, I believe, played the Lily Tomlin character. That's
1: That's great casting.
0: Yes, and then I don't know who played the Jane Fonda character. She wasn't a name that I recognized off the Mm. top of my head. And then Mark Kudich, Mm -hmm. who is a big Broadway dude. Anybody who doesn't know Broadway would know Mark Kudich from, he also played uh, whatever the big studio hit is on smash. Like when they were showing scenes from the Mm. show, (laughs) but if you watch sex in the city, you might remember him as being the guy who takes Samantha home. And I think she like opens up a closet and he's like all up in like a BDSM
1: Oh strung up in a BDSM harness and he's
0: like, Yeah, Yeah. let's do this. (laughs) She just like shuts the door and
1: walks away. That show
0: is so fucking kink shamey. That talk about a show that does not stand up, guys.
1: Yeah. And you you were watching the new one, right? Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember what your reaction was to it, but that maybe tells us what we need to say. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I I I mean, I don't want to get into a whole thesis about it. It's fun to watch for nostalgia, but also there's a lot of stuff that I was like, oh, God. Wow, these Mm -hmm. poor characters, especially Miranda, like Mm -hmm. what they did to that poor character. Let me be very clear this isn't about whether or not, like, this isn't about Miranda's sexuality, but rather just the handling of that story was kind of
1: clunky. I, everything I've read about it sounded like it was ill thought out.
0: Yeah, but it's, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think early on in the pandemic, I had rewatched Sex in the City and I was like, why did we love this show?
1: I remember you and I, I remember you and I talking about it and because yeah. I, I it's one of those shows I've sort of thought because I remember watching it at the time actually and enjoying it I don't I don't remember if I ever actually finished it but I watched like a good four or five seasons of it uh-huh. never saw any of the movies and I've thought over the years like oh, I should go back and watch sex in the city because it, it was like I remember having a good time with it and then talking to you and being like oh yeah I don't, I don't know if I,
0: did that. I mean but I don't like, watch
1: anything anymore so to like go back and watch <laughs> that show is maybe not the best use of my time
0: I think it's just because this was a big thing when and just like that, which is the, you know, the Sex and the City remix when that came out and everybody was like, this show is so cringy. And like, what did they do to all these? And I'm like, you need to go back and watch the source material
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: it's fucking awful carrie's an absolute prude she shames Mm -hmm. anybody who is who doesn't want to just have like missionary sex with her meanwhile Um, she's
1: like cheating on like yes but that's
0: fine because it's all like super heteronormative she gets super creeped out dating a guy who's bi again like a lot of problematic stuff having to do with like lgbt the whole like lgbt community there's like two black people on the show and they treat them horribly Mm -hmm. um i don't know if there's like any Latina people on there. Like, I don't think there's any I, Asian people are always treated like real. It's so bad. I'd be
1: shocked if there are any Latina people.
0: And to boot, like Carrie is fucking awful. She is yeah. awful. If you are sitting there listening to this and you're like, I'm totally a Carrie, shame, shame <laughs> upon you. Because that means that you are a horrible, self-centered human being. She is the Worst. <laughs> she is judgmental and self-centered she only thinks about herself it, she's the worst
1: yeah i mean i remember not liking her particularly at the time i think i always liked miranda and i don't know how i'd feel about miranda now because i sort of feel like i would find miranda like real like humorless and like kind of mean now there is that maybe i didn't at the time
0: miranda is still miranda is still kind of funny like there's definitely Mm -hmm. some very good stuff with miranda she is
1: kind of mean though Mm -hmm. i mean (sighs) i just remember like and I, i could be totally misremembering but my memory is that she was always like super judgy of samantha miranda yeah, but maybe maybe I'm mixing that dynamic up with Charlotte.
0: I mean, everybody was super judgmental about Samantha, who was out, you know, just trying to like get hers just as fucking an order, an yeah. yeah, and the fact of the matter is, is that like I am now the age that Samantha was when they started the series. Right. So I'm like, get it, like go out there and get it. Yeah. But again, just a, it's a very white. Straight mm-hmm.
1: yeah. rich show. Well, and it, it's just yeah. It, like I said, I sort of like considered like, oh, I, I I could go back and watch that. And then I just after talking to you, I was like, oh, uh, it's not like something I need to put a lot of time into. Being that, I, like I said, I'm barely watching anything. Yeah, except for like true crime docs. I did rewatch all of Jericho, which is like not a particularly good show, but it uh-huh. is like one of my favorite shows from Fantastic. like almost twenty years ago now. Awesome. Um and then uh that, like there's the new law and order they brought law and order back uh-huh and i've been watching that and it's it's not good yeah I mean, and, and it's reminding me that like law and order was never good like no, even like
0: law and order's old just...
1: school law and order like <laughs> like it's boring as fuck
0: like <laughs> it's just so uh, i mean i was watching SVU for a while because i was like mm-hmm. i've i've watched everything at this point right. and i had to stop because inevitably i would like fall asleep watching it and me and my dog would wake up in the middle of the night because some chick would be like screaming her face off mm-hmm. and i was like i can't do this i can't i can't with yeah. like the rape and the child abuse and the like i can't anymore i i've got to like yeah yeah not watch this i mean
1: i never really got into svu but like i i did the original law and order was always like kind of a comfort food watch for me yeah but i haven't watched it in forever but i've been re-watching i'm like oh this whole format is just like fucking tired i'm like i don't know why like i don't know how it's doing but i'd be kind of surprised if it's doing really
0: well and again just like hardcore copaganda yeah and it's the
1: exact same show and they actually one of the new characters like Mm -hmm. one of the cops now is like they're setting him up to be this like super right wing type cop, like, and cool. and it's not, and I'm like, I'm like, is this a critique or not? Like, it's not real clear yeah. how we're supposed to feel about this guy. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm like watching it because I'm weirdly fascinated by the fact that they're even trying to do it again, dude. But I'm probably not going to stick in very long. No, no. Yeah, it's it's um, not it's not worth it.
0: If you're out there listening and you're looking for something to watch, I'm going to recommend Minx on HBO. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know
1: much about that one.
0: Yeah. The only person I know who's in it is Jake Johnson, who I'll just, I just love. Mm-hmm. I He's my, right now he's at the top of my list of guys who kind of always looks like he's drunk, which as Scotty <laughs> knows this is just like a huge turn on for me. Um, but he's like, he's, uh, and he does like, he, like, I enjoy watching him all the time, but mm-hmm. It's about the creation of essentially kind of like Playgirl, right? So it's like a right. wit, okay. yeah, nudie yeah, yeah. magazine. So essentially supposed to be the the female equivalent of Playboy. So like mm-hmm. Naked Dudes articles about timely topics and like the struggle that they're dealing with. And that takes place in the 70s, great wow, that, fashion.
1: That sounds fun. I need to watch yeah. that. Um one show that I it hasn't started yet, but I am excited about is, and I'm forgetting the name of the show, but it's David Simon. Simon. Simon, who did The Wire, Uh he's doing another cop show set in Baltimore. It's going to start John Bernthal, obviously The Punisher, and it's and just knowing knowing David Simon and knowing The Wire, I'm like, it's and and having seen the trailer, I'm like, ooh, this is not going to be propaganda. Like this is going to be like, yeah, because that's not. I mean, that's not the wire's like whole. Yeah, so I'm Uh real, I'm real excited. I'm like, is this going to be like the wire part two? I mean, I shouldn't get myself like super worked up about it.
0: Yeah. Pump the brakes. You know what else is not copaganda? Our two stories for this week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into it. So I think uh, you're starting, right? Yes.
0: I'm starting us off always, as always with a cold open. So Mm -hmm. our story starts in late August of 1854. And that's when a five month old child, the five month old child of Thomas and Sarah Lewis uh, started getting sick Mm. And at the time, they lived at 40 Broad Street in the Soho district of the city of Westminster, London. Mm. Uh, five days later, baby Lewis and her father were dead. And within Ooh. less than two weeks, over 600 more people would lose their lives as well. Oh, wow. This is the story of the 1854 Broad Street cholera outbreak. So sources for this are Wikipedia, immunology.com, sciencemuseum.org, an article from Mental Floss, an article from Vox, UCLA.edu, Atlas Obscura, The Ghost Map, and several YouTube videos, which I forgot to uh, (laughs) list. And during Scotty's story at some point, I'll look them up and that way I can source them at the end.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) Um, Atlas Obscura and uh, the book, The Ghost Map by Steven Johnson. Okay. Oh. Okay. So let's hit it. You, Scotty, probably know this. I know my brother knows this as well because he lived there, but London is one Mm -hmm. of the old, one of the world's oldest cities.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it has a history that spans nearly 2000 years. Um, right. I'm not
1: a bunch of Druids hanging out there at some point.
0: Yes. I'm not going to get into it, but we're going to s- basically very, very, very much in an actual, for real nutshell this time in the first century, the Romans found this nice little spot of open land. They mm-hmm. walled it up. London was created. You, um, you also need to know that the city straddles the river Thames and mm-hmm. it's located about 50 miles upstream from the North sea. Right. The Wikipedia page for just the history of London, not London, the history of London. Oh yeah. is like a full day read. Oh, um, I I
1: would imagine so.
0: Yeah, so I am not going to get into all of that. <laughs> if you are interested in it and you should because London has a fascinating history yeah. definitely go check out that wikipedia page but i'm not gonna get into the weeds much more uh, in terms of london history than than okay. that but what you do need to know is that london developed as the center of trade commerce and banking and mm-hmm. lots and lots and lots of people by 1800 london had a population that topped out at a million inhabitants
1: oh wow in 1800
0: in 1800 to give good. that scale in the same year new york city topped out at 60,000. Wow. Yeah. So a shit ton of people.
1: Right. (laughs) Like just
0: an insane number of people. And when you've got that many people coming into an area that quickly, stuff like infrastructure is just going to get thrown by the wayside. Right. Well,
1: and particularly at that time, we're not talking like a million people in 2020, which is like Portland or something. Yeah. (laughs) Like this is like 1800s, like barely not medieval. (laughs) Like a million people. Yes.
0: So by the 1850s, London's Soho district was a fucking mess. And I mean that literally, it was Mm -hmm. a mess. I'm also going to stop right here and just give, I'm not going to say it's like a content warning, but I'm just going to let our listeners know that if you were eating or uh, Mm. if you have a delicate stomach, you should probably (laughs) skip my story and um, like come back to it later or skip it all together. But there is no way to tell the story without (laughs) getting into like the nitty gritty detail of how London was managing the insane amount of human and animal waste that it was producing. Right. So I'm not going to get like super graphic, but I'm going to have to talk about it a little bit. Sure. I mean, I'm,
1: I'm I'm here for it.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Great. I just know (laughs) that if I was listening to it, I'd be like, awesome. Thanks for letting me know. I'll come back when I'm done with
1: my sandwich. Right.
0: Mm -hmm, Bye. Okay. So London has a shit problem (laughs) in the (laughs) mid-1800s.
1: Sure.
0: (laughs) Uh, Prior to the 1850s, London was outfitted with just 360 sewers.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. And since the sewers were inadequate to handle all of London's waste, many buildings were outfitted with what is known as cesspits. Mm. Um, So let's jump into cesspits.
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, do you known- literally want to jump into cesspits?
0: Well, I'm going to get, um, like, remind <laughs> me to come back to that later. Okay. So cesspits, also known as cesspools or soak pits, <laughs> and they are underground tanks meant for the storage of fecal matter and other bodily waste. If these tanks are sealed at the bottom, those are cesspools. Pits, if mm-hmm. they are not sealed and it's essentially just kind of like a hole that's been dug, that's a yep. soak pit. Eey.
1: They were that, usually that grosses me out.
0: They were usually like deep cylindrical chambers built into the ground, and they usually mm. measured between three to six feet by six to nine feet. Okay. If you had a nice one, your cess pit might be lined with bricks or concrete and covered with a slab. And when I say a slab, I mean like a board that had a <laughs> hole for your butt cut out yeah, in it. Yeah, sure okay not like a like cesspools and soak pits were the precursors for septic tanks mm-hmm. and in like back then basically the like going to the bathroom and the toilet and flushing and everything goes into a septic tank that's the step that gets cut out
1: right i mean this sounds like it's like halfway between like a septic tank and like an outhouse basically
0: yeah basically cesspools and soap pits are essentially like city dwelling outhouses Mm -hmm. um if you ever look at little pictures of buildings in london the same might be true for like brownstones in new york and they have like little courtyards in the front that are like bricked hmm that's where the cesspits were
1: in the front of the house mm-hmm. so you're yeah. like you're taking a dump as like your neighbor's and mailman is walking <laughs>
0: sometimes by? you would be but more wow. often than not what would happen is that stuff would happen inside into like a chamber pot or something and then it would get dumped
1: okay that's
0: but there were 100 stories that i read about you could just be walking down a street in london and just see somebody taking a dump in a cesspit
1: there, there you go
0: yeah so much of the story makes me just be like where the did Victorians get off being superior <laughs> about anything like <laughs> you were taking a dump in the middle of the street and you're going to have the gall to tell me that the people that you were encountering in Africa are less civilized than you Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> So again, if you had a nice one, it might be lined with like bricks or concrete covered with a little butt slab. Um, mm-hmm. And those would need to be emptied regularly. If, right. if you had the other kind, which would be like a soak pit, they were not lined and mm-hmm. they were designed so that the pits contents would like seep into the soil, into sort the surrounding of soil. Like
1: a horrifying version of compost.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing is that like, if you lived out in the country mm-hmm. and you had a soak pit that was like in the ground and nowhere near your well, sure drinking water source, like, cool. That happens. Do your and thing. The, yeah. the circle of life continues. You know what I mean? You right. like fertilize the land and it's I mean, all good.
1: I've gone camping. I know how, how that goes.
0: Right. But in a city of over a million people,
1: <laughs> it's not, a different story. Not a great idea.
0: Yeah. So we're going to take a break from the disgusting topic of Suspits to talk about the River Thames, which is sadly just as if not more disgusting. <laughs> okay. Okay. So in the 1700s, because all of these people are like just going into London and setting up shop mm-hmm. there, the population is growing. The Thames is disgusting because mm-hmm. of course everybody's like, well, what do we do with all of our shit? Well, will we'll just dump it in the river. Right. Okay. A little bit about the Thames. At the time in the 1700s, so a century earlier, it's the world's busiest waterway. Mm-hmm. And Londoners are dumping waste, not just human waste, but like animal waste from fisheries and mm-hmm. slaughterhouses, chemicals and stuff from like tanneries and everything mm-hmm. just right into the river. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but the cesspits in London homes were prone to overflowing, especially if it rained. (laughs) Yeah, that cough was perfectly timed. (laughs) So it would rain and all that crap would flow into the streets and then into the sewers that led right into the Thames. Yeah. Okay. Great now,
1: efficient system we've got.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I guess if you're like willing to drop trow and take a dump in the middle of the street, you're probably also <laughs> like, ah, well, it's Where a part are. of life. Right. Yeah. I think we, there were things, there were things that I read that it were like, if anybody from right now was like transported back to Victorian London, mm-hmm. the assault of smells would be enough to just like send us right back.
1: Oh um, yeah no interest none
0: yeah it's something that also occurred to me i mean you know different country but i think somewhat of a similar time period right in gangs of new york Mm -hmm. i watched that movie and i was like "Eh," like this movie looks like it smells bad
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. like,
0: so I appreciate that. I appreciate right. that. There was
1: some,
0: <laughs> I was like, Oh God, they must all like, they all it's look like they smell bad.
1: Very tactile.
0: Yes. Okay. So that's what would happen if cesspits overflowed, but they were not designed to overflow. Right. They were actually meant to be cleaned out by gong farmers, mm. um, who would go in and, and dig out the contents of the cesspits, uh, like every two or five or eight or 10 years.
1: That sounds like not a job that I want.
0: So this is also the super interesting thing about London at this time, Mm -hmm. is that there was a whole society of people who had these kind of God awful jobs, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, pe- like, uh, people who would go mud which is now a thing that you can do on the banks of, a- of the river Thames, mm-hmm. but was at the time a profession. I mean, we're talking about people who were like trying to find carcasses to send to like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the hell, and they're looking, they're looking for bones to send to like, whatever the hell like stuff was getting used. Those were jobs that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, a whole underground society of people who had these like
1: god awful jobs. I mean, no judgment jobs need to get done. And like anyone who's willing to do that job, whether it's, you know, 2022 or 1800, like 100%. I am 100%. not, I'm not that person,
0: <laughs> not I'm am not I ever I going to
1: be that person, and,
0: not, uh, nor yeah. am I, the good news is, is that gong farmers actually got paid pretty well. Um, hope. yeah, but the life of a gong farmer was spent quote up to his knees, waist, and even neck in human order Ugh. End quote, <laughs> um, <laughs> So there was that. They could only work at night due to the smell. They were only mm-hmm. allowed to live in certain areas of town because of the smell.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and they risked asphyxiation from the noxious fumes produced by the shit they were cleaning Ugh. Mm -hmm. um also anybody who was doing these sort of like underground stuff there's a lot of stories about how you know they'd be down there in the sewers that were the 360 sewers that were you know under Mm London at the time and they'd be down there with their lamps and they'd hit pockets of methane gas and just blow themselves away yeah yeah so not like a great time for them but I guess at least they were being (laughs) beautiful so after so okay so a gong farmer would go dig out a cesspit the waste would be loaded into a horse court oh good grief (laughs) loaded into a horse cart driven outside city limits and dumped you want to take a guess where
1: Uh, into the thames
0: into the thames right into the river thames (laughs) uh you want to take a guess where londoners are getting their drinking water from
1: from the thames
0: from the thames absolutely (laughs) two for two Okay. So Soho is packed. People are living on top of each other's. There was stuff that had talked about again, like, you know, we're flashing back to the 1800s people are living. And that this happens, anytime you go to a big city, you see this happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Buildings that were originally meant to be single family dwellings are now being parsed out and now hold like 20 or more people in them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, like a family is living in what used to be the parlor of this house, but it's now like an apartment. Right. 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 It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And to boot, the streets of Soho are lined with slaughterhouses, grease, boiling dens, cow sheds, factories, homes, and like lots and lots and lots of cesspits. Right. Um, Recorded data from that area says that the drinking water, which was pulled via pumps from various wells around the city had, this is so fucking gross had visible particles of just like nightmare fuel in it. Mm -hmm. Like you could get up, you could pump your water and look at it and be like, yep. The water, which like I said, had visible and invisible pollutants along with things like animal hair Mm-hmm. was used by locals for drinking cooking cleaning awesome all of this stuff maybe this is again my like 2022 sensibilities but it seems ridiculous to me that somebody would look at that water with all of that literal crap floating in it and be like eh, mm-hmm. glug 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 but they did well they did. I
1: mean if that's all you got and you got a drink you got a drink you know
0: I get I guess so. Well, we'll touch on that in a second too. Okay. okay. So during the 1800s, London gets slammed with four cholera outbreaks that killed tens of thousands of people between mm-hmm. 1832 and 1865. Okay. So in a thirty three year span, tens of thousands of people get like just decimated by cholera. So we're going to talk about cholera for a second. This is also gross. Sure. Cholera or Vibrio cholerae is a bacterium that causes an infection of the small intestine. Mm, It is spread. mm -hmm, It is spread by unsafe drinking water that Mm -hmm. has been contaminated with human feces. So the only way for you to get Cholera. If somebody takes a shit in your water and you drink it, and it has okay. to be, a, it has to be a person. One, it doesn't seem like this bacteria affects animals. And while we can have other infections from animal feces, it's not cholera.
1: So evolution's just like super fun
0: yes uh absolutely when you get infected with cholera it causes sorry again watery diarrhea vomiting muscle cramps and severe dehydration which leads to an electrolyte imbalance Mm. sunken eyes and right before you die cold bluish skin symptoms of cholera can start two hours and up to five days after exposure. And basically what happens is that the disease kills you by like, you get so severely dehydrated that mm. your blood turns into sludge yeah, and it can't make it to the organs. And so you die from organ failure. Uh, okay, yeah, cholera can cause the loss of up to twenty liters of fluid a day, wow, yes, which is roughly four gallons,
1: yeah, that's
0: yeah, it's that's
1: insane,
0: it's insane. The saddest thing about cholera to me is how easy it is to prevent. Like you just need access to water that hasn't been shit in. Right. And how easy it is to cure because you just have to rehydrate. Right. Like you just have to replenish fluids, electrolytes, and glucose in the body. And that's it.
1: Preferably not with shit water.
0: No. And that's, but it's why like, so growing up with My dad being a physician, anytime we had stomach bugs, he was always like Gatorade, 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 (laughs) Gatorade. And that is because you are trying to replenish not just fluids, but electrolytes and glucose as well.
1: Right. Right.
0: But yeah, that's it. That's all you have to like, it's not antibiotics. It's, Mm -hmm. I think there's a vaccine that has been invented, but it's not like you just have to rehydrate. That's all you have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think also too, again, the third saddest thing is that like, we have not eradicated cholera in the world. Right. There are I are going to say places, it's,
1: it's still happening.
0: Yeah. There are still places where they don't have access to clean water and cholera still, you know, can come in and take out a right. community. Okay. So it is now believed that cholera originated in the Asian subcontinent India. Mm -hmm. And okay. So I saw one source that said that there are written descriptions. Of course, it wasn't called cholera, but written descriptions of a disease that was probably cholera dating back to 1642. I also saw other sources that said that people were talking about it in like 500 BC. Okay. Yeah. So it's been around for a really long time. Yeah. But it really started to, like, you know, do its thing
1: mm-hmm. in
0: in like the late seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, as
1: people are like more and more congregating in right. one area.
0: Right. And what they think at the time, what had well, sorry. What is now believed is that cholera started in India, traveled to Russia via trade routes, so Mm -hmm. gay capitalism, and then from there spread to Europe, to North America, and then to the rest of the world. When cholera was first, not when it was first discovered, but it was really starting to like pick up steam, it this is like 1820s. Mm -hmm. It was thought that it had spread through. Asia to the Americas and beyond, which mm-hmm. allowed the Brits, again, these assholes to be like pretty racist in, <laughs> because they used it essentially to be like, well, we haven't gotten it so clearly. British right. folks are superior to it. And then like a decade later, they were shitting their
1: pants. I was going to say, and then Mother Nature is like, hold my
0: beer. 100%. 100% <laughs> Mother Nature was like, hold my beer.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: because everybody was pretty clear that it had started in India. It was originally called Asiatic cholera. Mm, Okay. So you'll see a lot of like reports from newspapers and stuff, especially in England and Great Britain about like Asiatic cholera, but Mm -hmm. it was just cholera. So at the time, again, talking like 1850s London, the prevailing theory of how disease like cholera spread was miasma theory. Mm -hmm. Um, Scotty, I'm pretty sure you know what this is, but if our listeners don't, this is the belief that cholera was caused by particles in the air that came from decomposing matter or like other disgusting. Stuff yeah, and traveled air thing. Yeah. right. Traveled through the air via smells, and that's how people got infected. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the accepted method of transmission of many diseases at the time, and miasma believers thought that the way to prevent and cure cholera was to clean and scour everything. You guys mm-hmm. can't say, it, but I'm using heavy air quotes around yeah. this because. They weren't like, the thing is, is that there absolutely are illnesses that you can prevent the spread of via cleaning. Yeah. But this was not cleaning to kill germs. This was cleaning to get rid of the smells. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially like I'll prevent cholera by spraying this Febreze. But,
1: yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, give me another heaping glass of shit water.
0: Yes, precisely. Right. Okay. So I'm going to take a break in introduce our heroes, real okay. quick—the heroes of our story. Our first is—and I don't want to fucking hear it. Our first is a man by the name of John Snow. He <laughs> is—I <laughs> told you I didn't want to hear it. He is an English physician who actually, like, John Snow was really a badass. Mm-hmm. You want a second? Do you need yeah, to I did.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> you might repeat that sentence. <laughs>
0: Okay. So John Snow is an English physician who, like I said, he really was a badass. He Mm -hmm. would go on to make, actually, I think this was like all before this because he only died a few years after this cholera outbreak, Mm. but he made leaps in the development of anesthesia and medical hygiene. Mm. Um, He was actually the person. So before he came along, ether and chloroform were being used to anesthetize patients.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Which, you know, is like fine at the time, but they would do it by basically like soaking a rag in either Mm -hmm. of those things and then just like laying it on the face of the
1: patient. Yeah. It's like uh, (laughs) all the movies where someone gets kidnapped with chloroform.
0: Right. And it was Jon Snow who was like, after watching like a couple of patients die, he was like, "Uh, we might need to be a little bit more exact in this. Mm -hmm. So he created the kind of like little mask thing where they would pour Mm -hmm. it on there. He became so renowned in his work with anesthesia that Queen Victoria requested him to be the anesthesiologist at the birth of her last two children. Mm, so, like okay. yeah. Homeboy knew what he was doing. He was also one of the founders of modern epidemiology, largely due to his work on the Broad Street cholera outbreak. Right. He was, like I said, he was instrumental in anesthesia, like being a thing. Um, mm-hmm. and Again, because of this work with these cholera outbreaks, he was instrumental in leading major changes in water and waste systems in London, which, like, inspired the rest of the world. Cool. He was also a teetotaler, mm. a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> he took an abstinence pledge in 1835, and he drank only distilled water.
1: So, like, a forward thinker that also, maybe not the most fun of parties.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's like, let's talk about, and they're like, no, let's, I want to talk to you about shit. No, absolutely not, John. He got his bachelor's degree and his MD in 1844. And I saw sources that said he also got his PhD in that year as well.
1: So just a smarty pants.
0: Yeah, just a smarty pants. And he was a founding member of the Epidemiological Society of London, one of the first societies to not just look for cures to diseases, but also looked into ways to treat symptoms And study the diseases themselves. And that was looking Mm -hmm. into like transmission of diseases, propagation, environmental factors, all that stuff. Right. Uh, Because again, everybody else up until this time is just like, it's the bad smells, Mm -hmm. and your uterus is floating around in your body. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Our second hero is a guy by the name of Henry Whitehead. He was a Church of England priest and assistant curate of St. Luke's Church in Soho, London. Though he was a clergyman, Whitehead was wildly curious about science. And Mm. he spent a lot of time debunking false theories.
1: No, good for you.
0: Good for you. He was originally a miasmist. So he believed in the miasma theory. I mean, probably
1: everybody was.
0: Yeah. I mean, really, like, there's a lot of talk about how when Jon Snow was like, hey, I think it might be this thing, everybody was like, okay, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Teetotaler. Okay. Virgin. Like, you know, whatever the hell. (laughs) So he was originally a miasmist. But after reading Jon Snow's materials and working with him on this 1854 cholera outbreak, he would come to believe and support what we know now as germ theory. As the local curate, he also had unique access to and knowledge of the inhabitants of Soho. Mm -hmm. So in 1849, Snow polishes his germ theory in an essay titled On the Mode of Communication of Cholera. And after the 1854 outbreak, he would go back and like make addendums adding the results of his investigation of the Broad Street outbreak. Okay. So Snow is a germ theorist And he believes that cholera is spread Via contaminated water or food Mm -hmm. And when he first publishes his essays Folks are really like Yeah, 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 yeah Yeah. Like you're trying to tell me What's making me sick Is some like teeny particle That I can't even see And like not this foul smell That's all over London
1: Just because of what we've all been dealing with For the last few years You just gave me (laughs) such a raging headache Just thinking about it
0: sorry (laughs) (laughs) I will also say this is like it reminds me of a tweet that I saw right when I don't think that we, I know that we hadn't had any COVID cases in New Mexico, but like stuff was starting mm-hmm. to pop up in like New York and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw a tweet where somebody said that they had overheard a conversation in the airport where somebody was like, why do I need to wash my hands? It's like a lung disease. And I, it's I,
1: like, well, <laughs> I mean, it's the, pe- the, like, there's people who still are questioning whether it's a germ and they're like, you know, it's 5g fucking cell tower. 100%. Or So it's just like we we it'd be so easy to judge these like 1850s Londoners, but I'm not sure we're that much better. That
0: is a very good point. I mean, the scientists
1: are better, but like there's still plenty and of dummies. I guess, that's dummies the, I guess
0: that would be the line of demarcation, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like, we've got, you know, your crazy uncle who listens to Fox news all the time. That's like, it's 5g mm-hmm. versus back in the 1850s when it was like the doctors and scientists right. who were like, it's 5g
1: and literally everybody else.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So germ theory, rudimentary germ theory has been around since the 1500s. There were some folks mm. who were like, I think there's a thing. I think there are Things that we can't see somehow get into our bodies and make us sick. So, again, like rudimentary germ theory, germs were identified as microorganisms in the 1660s and 1670s, mm-hmm. but germ theory itself wouldn't become widely accepted until Louis Pasteur started doing his stuff in the late 1850s. Right. So, we're like just right years, at years yeah, away from it being like, from Louis Pasteur being like, no, for realsies, guys. Like, like guys, this, this, is is what's, for this is what's happening. Yes. So I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but Snow had already been studying the cholera outbreaks in London and he Mm -hmm. was already starting to see, he was starting to see that the disease had no like class, gender, professional, what's the word I'm looking for? Like anybody could get infected by it, right? Disease
1: is very democratic.
0: Yes, the disease is very (laughs) democratic. And this is important because a lot of people really thought at the time that cholera and a whole bunch of other diseases were the plight of the poor due to the lax moral standards of
1: low-income people. This is exactly what happened in the 80s with
0: AIDS. 100%. And it's something that continues on today that it's like a big thing that I have learned. You'll hear a statistic where it's like 40% of the Latino community has diabetes diabetes and it's because it's because of the food they eat but nobody's looking at any like of the comorbidities of it mm-hmm. like nobody's looking if these people have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Nobody's Mm -hmm. looking to see income levels, other, like I said, other, other health issues. So they're just like Latino people eat terrible. And so, so they get to have diabetes, right? Yeah. It's yeah. So John Snow's data showed that the disease went after everybody. He also knew that contaminated water was making people sick. When he looked into two water companies that were supplying areas of London, this was Mm -hmm. the South work. Vauxhall Water Company and the Lambeth Water Company. Um, So Snow discovered that a lot of the Southwark Vauxhall supplied folks were getting ill because they were Southwark Vauxhall was pumping water from the Thames downstream of like a sewage outlet.
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, you're, you're always talking about like upstream and downstream problems. (laughs) This is the definition. (laughs) This
0: is literally the definition of an upstream problem. Right. Lambeth, people weren't getting sick. People whose water was supplied by Lambeth weren't getting sick because their distribution center was upstream of that sewage
1: pump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. There you go. Like that's the, so. Yeah, that seems pretty definitive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But again, Jon Snow is like, so this is what I'm finding. And they're like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Right. Not at all. Of course. Okay, so on September third, Jon Snow wakes up and he reads about a terrible cholera outbreak that's ravaging Soho. He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this figured out. I'm gonna get I'm gonna finally get this figured out." And he heads to the registrar's office and he asks for the name and addresses of all of the Soho outbreak deaths. And the register was like, "Fuck yes, here you go." Gives him all the information that he needs. Snow takes that data and he and a map of Soho, and he starts putting a dot at every address where someone has died from cholera in the last Mm. four to five days. Those dots show him that the epicenter of the outbreak is a pump at the junction of Broad Street and Cambridge Street. Mm. The highest density of dots are around the pump, and they thin out the further you go from the pump.
1: Sure. Okay.
0: The Broad Street pump. Now, I want to talk about this pump for a little bit. It is well known at the time for having awesome drinking water. Mm. The pump went down 25 feet into the ground. So therefore the water was colder Mm. than all the other pumps. And it was a little fizzy. So mm. everybody was like, hell yes, Broad Street pump water. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a quote from the ghost map by Stephen Johnson. It says, quote, for these reasons, the Broad Street water insinuated itself into a complex web of local drinking habits. The coffee house down the street brewed its coffee with pump water. Many mm-hmm. little shops in the neighborhood sold a confection they called sherbet, a mixture of effervescent powder and Broad Street water. The mm. pubs of Golden Square diluted their spirits with pump water. Okay. So it's. Everywhere. Like, yeah. it's It's everywhere. It's
1: like liquid gold to these people.
0: Yes. Okay. It's also worth noting that temperatures during this last week and week and a half of August are hitting like low eighties or I'm sorry, upper eighties, low nineties. So like Mm -hmm. in England, like that's just, I mean, here for us, we're like, that's like great weather. (laughs) I know for Londoners, they're like, it's 70 degrees outside and I'm broiling to death. Yeah. So London is getting hit with this heat wave and everybody's trying to get their hands on that cool, sweet, broad, straight water right Uh, this is another excerpt from the ghost map it says quote we know a remarkable amount about the quotidian drinking habits of the golden square neighborhood that's where that's the area around the broad street pump Mm -hmm. um the golden square neighborhood on those oppressive days of august 1854 we know that the ellie brothers dispatched a bottle to their mother on monday and that she shared it with her visiting niece later that week we know Mm. that a young man visiting his chemist father enjoyed a glass of pump water with his pudding at a restaurant on warder street we know that." the tailor, Mr. G, this guy lived at 40 Broad Street, where that was the address of the first thing that I talked about in the cold open. We know that the tailor, Mr. G, who also lived at 40 Broad Street, sent his wife several times to grab a pitcher of water from the pump outside his workplace. We also know of the holdouts who did not drink water from the pump that week for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. A family who normally relied on their 10-year-old girl to fetch water from the pump went dry for a few days as the little girl recovered from a cold. Mm. A regular pump water drinker and noted ornithologist, named john gould had declined at glass on that saturday complaining that it had a repulsive smell Mm. okay the ghost map goes on to note how disease specifically epidemic disease wreak havoc Oh, yeah. on history because, and like the case that the author makes is like, when you were in the middle of a battle or a political revolution, there mm-hmm. is some part of someone who is like, we are in the midst of history being made. Right. And so detailed notes are being taken. Somebody is committing these things to memory. Right. But when you talk about diseases, as we've also seen with COVID, it's like, like if I asked you to be like, Hey, can you tell me what you ate and drank and where you got it from two mondays ago
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i couldn't tell you
0: i don't know (laughs) so there's so it becomes so hard to Mm -hmm. pinpoint this kind of data and to really figure out like where a disease originated from right Okay. I also do just want to say, I want to stop in right now to say again, 1850s London and probably the world. Cholera is one of a laundry list of things that could cause digestive issues. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: There's no refrigeration. Nobody's really like, you have people who are drinking contaminated water and if they're not drinking contaminated water they're just guzzling coffee beer and liquor which is like messing mm. with their stomachs it's all a mess sure. so anytime you have an upset stomach it's basically a game of like russian roulette about whether or not this is going to be something that like, kills you or i might not. have a headache
1: tomorrow or i might be dead yes yeah
0: i also want to pause here and just give like a strong 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 the Weirdest Thing podcast recommendation. If I had a <laughs> sticker, I would stick it on there. But a strong Weirdest Thing book rec for The Ghost Map. It is okay. an excellent book. I read this book decades ago. I try to tell everybody about it. Oh, um,
1: you, I mean, you, you've told me about it like a long time ago.
0: Yeah, it is so good. It is the history of this outbreak. It goes really in depth into this entire subject. And Steven Johnson writes it like... A thriller. Mm-hmm. He's talking about like epidemiology and ugh, God, like the ugh, fucking like social implications of water and access to clean water. and it but it, he, it's written like a horror book so that you get to the mm. end of the chapter and you're like, oh, <laughs> nice. and you like quickly flip the page. I just uh, I love I it. it's it's a really, really, really good book. Okay. So let me see before I did my whole thing. Okay. So we've got snow. He's, you know, doing the thing. He hears about this whole terrible cholera outbreak, heads to the register, asks for the names and the guy's like absolutely. Okay, so then Joe's or Jon Snow takes this map and he splits it. He's making, you know, he marks where all of the deaths have occurred mm-hmm. and then he splits the map according to proximity to various pumps throughout the area. Okay. He unknowingly creates what's now called I think like a Voronoi diagram or a Voronoi mm. Grid or something like that. But it's basically that kind of thing where you're sort of going, okay, like who has proximity to what? Okay. Any death that happened closer to any given pump was lumped together. Okay. With the idea that you would walk to whichever pump was closest to you. Mm-hmm. The data showed that the closer you lived to the Broad Street pump, the higher your chances of dying were. So he's collecting this data and he's like, okay, great. This is like, I'm making a really good case. But again, miasmists are like, mm, there's probably like a stinky cloud around the pump or (laughs) like something like that. And so this doesn't really prove anything. And to boot, it's not like only people who are around the pump died. So Jon Snow was like, God damn it. Okay. Let me go back. Let me go. Let me hit the streets again. He found eight deaths where the victims lived closer to some other pump, mm-hmm. there was also the Poland. The, so these are these are the outliers, right? So the eight deaths where the victims lived closer to other pumps. Mm-hmm. There was the Poland Street Workhouse, which was like half a block from the Broad Street pump, mm-hmm. uh, which had five hundred and thirty-three inhabitants and almost no deaths. Mm-hmm. And then a brewery about a block and a half away from the pump on Broad Street, where like again,
1: like everyone was fine.
0: Yeah, everyone was fine. So John Snow was like, what the fuck is going on with this? So he (laughs) goes and he does some research and he finds that of those eight deaths that lived closer to other pumps, three of them were school children who passed the Broad Street pump on their way to Mm. and from school and would stop to drink there. Mm. Another three were workers who would stop there and drink on their Mm. way to work. The other two, he couldn't find anything about. So he was like, well, yeah,
1: but still, I mean, that's a lot of evidence there. Mm -hmm.
0: Then he goes to the workhouse and he's like, hi, why is no one dying of cholera here? And the workhouse manager was like, well, because we have our own water system. Like we have Mm. our own well and our own pump and yeah, we're all doing good here. So he's like, okay, cool. So that's why you guys aren't getting sick. And then he heads over to the brewery and he's like why aren't you guys getting sick and he finds out that the workers are being paid partly in beer Mm. and because (laughs) the water that gets used to make the beer is boiled before the hops get thrown in
1: they're in the they're they're just not drinking water they're just they're
0: not drinking water
1: Which, you know, comes with maybe its own problems. (laughs) Right. So they're
0: they're probably also have the shits, but for different
1: reasons. (laughs) Um, But at
0: least they're not dying. Okay. A cool little tidbit about this. In gathering this data, Jon Snow, basically, he accidentally creates a double blind study,
1: Mm, which
0: is very cool. Another cool tidbit about this story is that most of the victims of the Broad Street cholera outbreak were sent to Middlesex Hospital, where they were treated by the mother of modern nursing, Florence Nightingale.
1: Mm. I think I knew that because maybe you told me that When you were talking about the book before
0: Maybe, but yeah. cool nonetheless Scotty, I'm actually telling this for our listeners
1: It's not <laughs> all about you
0: Yeah um- <laughs> Okay. So Jon Snow is such a baller that he collects all of this information within 48 hours of reading about the Soho outbreak. Mm -hmm. So he's just like, let's fucking go. let's, Let's go. So he takes a look at all of this information and he is like determined to prove that cholera is spread through contaminated drinking water.
1: Right.
0: This is where Reverend Henry Whitehead comes in. Like I mentioned before, he's a proponent of the miasma theory, but he's starting to be swayed by Jon Snow's research. Mm -hmm. Whitehead had spent this time during this outbreak, which was like from baby Lewis getting sick to like the thing kind of ending Mm -hmm. less than two weeks. Wow. Yeah. It is like, even though you'll hear numbers where it's like 10,000 people died, this outbreak is commonly referred to as the worst cholera outbreak because it was so deadly so fast. Yeah. And so during this time Whitehead has been because he's the assistant curate he's been going and he's been sitting with people who are sick, mm-hmm. he's been sitting with them as they die. You know, he's like seeing how the disease is like ravaging people and one of the big things that he notices is that people are dying regardless of the cleanliness of their homes. The book talks about how he goes into homes, I think it's the book. He goes into Homes that have been like notorious for being the cleanest homes on the street and they're being ravaged by cholera. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into homes that are just like disgusting mm-hmm. and nobody's gotten sick. Everyone's
1: fine. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. The whole miasma theory seems to fall apart at that point.
0: Precisely. But you do still need to wash your hands. Um, <laughs> so at this point, Whitehead and Snow could see that this particular cholera outbreak was just way worse than others. Mm-hmm. It, like I said, it was tearing through Soho with an alarming speed. And we're talking like at its height, it's killing 50 to 70 people a day. Wow. Yeah, just burning through the mm-hmm. inhabitants of Soho. So, Y-Head steps in to provide this critical assistance in the study of this outbreak, and that is collecting information from the people of Soho themselves. Because Jon Snow is not from there, and mm-hmm. you know he's like, "Tell me about your drinking water." We're right. like, "We're fucking dealing with cholera. Like, go away." Go away, weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm shitting myself right now. I don't want to talk to you. But <laughs> they would let they would let the clergyman in. Right. Okay. So. It is with the help of Whitehead that Snow discovers that the pump at Broad Street isn't supplied water from any of the local water companies. It's pumping groundwater, remember? Mm -hmm. So at that point, they're like, how the hell is the water getting contaminated? Yeah. And that leads us to patient zero. Mm. And this is the Lewis baby that I talked about earlier. That is our index case, our patient zero. So it is unclear how baby Lewis, apparently like the the baby's name wasn't even like there's no record of the baby's name but she contracted the disease somehow we don't know how but what we do know is that she began to vomit and have watery green stools on the morning of August 28th 1854 mm. her mother Sarah sent for their doctor and as she waited she soaked her baby's soil diapers in a bucket of tepid water mm. when she could as her daughter would like you know find a little bit of sleep in between bouts of sickness Sarah would take the buckets of soap drinking water and tossed them into the cesspools located at the front of the house. Mm-hmm. The cesspool had been dug less than one meter away from the well of the Broad Street pump. Okay. And upon further examination, it was discovered that the 40 Broad Street cesspool had been poorly made and it was leaking filth, not just into the sewer below, but into the soil as well, the soil that directly surrounded the Broad Street pump.
1: Well. Okay. So this was like not one of those soak pits, but it was a cesspool pit but just like a really shitty one it had been badly made okay
0: yeah so it was supposed to like kind of drain into the sewer that was beneath it Oh. because it had been badly made and poorly lined it wasn't doing that it was just seeping into the soil so you've got a badly made cesspit two feet away from Mm -hmm. a ground well that supplies the neighborhood with drinking water
1: right with with the awesome drinking water that everyone loves
0: the awesome drinking water that everybody likes and again the thing is is because it's a natural well that's collecting groundwater it's not like it was a concrete like dug out and it's concrete and all that they just stuck a pipe down until they hit water and they were like Mm -hmm. cool right yeah okay on the evening of september 7th john snow ran to a meeting of parish authorities and he was like hey this pump is making everybody ill we have to neutralize it like we have to stop people from getting water out of this well and they were like what do you want us to do and he was like i want you to remove the handle to the pump Mm -hmm. and they were like Oh yeah, that like, we can do that. So they did.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Easy fix guys.
0: Yeah. Totally easy (laughs) fix. His case, like I said, was so good that they were like, okay, absolutely. Yes. We'll remove the handle. And John snow himself. Isn't actually sure that the removing of the handle caused the end of this outbreak as cases were already starting to decline, Mm -hmm. but regardless, the pump was disabled. Whitehead would go on to later say that even if the removing of the handle from the contaminated pump didn't stop the outbreak it certainly prevented another oh yeah so he's like regardless
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's all good a replica of the pump was installed in 1992 where the original pump had been located I can't find any information about what happened to the pump between 1854 and 1992 mm. I don't know if at some point they were like we don't really need water pumps anymore so we're just gonna like
1: well they I, I mean, know, if they but... at this point believed that the pump was contaminated, they might have just been like, fuck it, we'll put another pump somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I, that's, that's what I don't know. I don't know if they mm-hmm. were like, well, we'll put another pump somewhere else or if like pumps just kind of yeah. went away because right. they figured out. Because I should also say that a few years after this, I believe in 1858, the Thames got so bad that this is a period known as the Great Stink. <laughs> and it was at that point that London was like, OK, we, we need- have to do something. We They need
1: to do something about that.
0: And that is when they started construction on their like massive sewer system. Right. Which is still in use today. Yeah. Once they were like, oh, we need to do something that isn't just throwing all of our shit into the Thames, they actually did a really good job. And like, that is another fascinating subject to look into the building of the London sewers Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: it is a, it was a massive undertaking Yeah. and like some of the distribution centers are like gorgeous. Like, yeah, they're like tiled and everything. Like they're amazing. But so again, don't really know what happened to the original pump, Mm -hmm. but they installed a replica in 1992 where the original pump had been located. In 2015, that replica pump was removed due to some redevelopments that were happening in the area. Okay. And the a replica now sits just a few feet away from where the original pump was located. And if you find yourself in Soho, which I have, I made my brother because I'd read the ghost map before I had mm-hmm. gone to London. And when I went to go visit my brother, when he was living there, I was like, take me to the pump. And he was like, okay. <laughs> uh, he has also read the ghost map. So he was like, Oh my God, absolutely. So yeah. we went, so you can visit the replica and make note of a red granite it's like it's a red granite curbstone like if you mm. didn't know what it was you wouldn't even notice it but that red granite stone marks the original location okay. of the pump every year the John Snow Society holds pump handle lectures at the pump <laughs> On matters of public health. Nice. And the replica of the pump now sits outside the John Snow pub, which is complete with a very British little plaque commemorating John Snow's contributions to the study of cholera. And that nice. is the story of the 1854 Broad Street cholera outbreak.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You've told me a bit about it because you've talked to me about the ghost map, but that's, God, that's so once you get into the the details, it, it is it's real fucking gross
0: yeah it's really gross it's also you know i was talking about the sort of social implications and stuff he even goes into why (laughs) (laughs) like i am not saying this this is not my opinion this is what i have heard from both londoners and people who have lived in Mm -hmm. london that like they can just drink they just (laughs) can drink like mm-hmm. nobody's business. And Stephen Johnson kind of posits in this book that the reason why Londoners have such a tolerance to alcohol is because they have not had access to clean water in like
1: centuries. <laughs> <laughs> that is, makes sense.
0: Yeah. So they weren't drinking water. They were drinking, they were drinking coffee. They were drinking right. malt liquor. They were drinking beer. They were doing all that stuff, but they weren't like, it just wasn't a part of their daily life. And so they right. developed a genetic tolerance to alcohol that people who have always had access to clean water, indigenous people, nomadic people, that kind of stuff, you know, don't, don't have. Um, That's
1: interesting. Well, yeah. and the whole like not drinking water thing. I've never thought about, I have to ask my dad this. So my dad mm-hmm. doesn't like to drink water. Like he, mm-hmm. like he drinks soda. He drinks coffee. He drinks lemonade. He, if he drinks water, he's got to put like eight slices of lemon in it. hmm I wonder if this comes from him growing up in Cleveland, which is like also famously got real gross water. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, their river caught on fucking fire. You
0: know? Yeah. And I will also say here, we're gonna give me, you know, give me some some vamp music here while I look this up.
1: Do, 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 do. <laughs> Welcome to our show. Welcome to our show. It's a good show.
0: I will also just say, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some conflicting stuff on here, but I will also say that Flint, Michigan went without clean water for at least five years from 2014 to 2019. I I don't know the accuracy of that statement, but it has been uh, an article that was posted on January 19th of 2017 said today marks a thousand days since Flint has had clean drinking water. Yeah. Like it's clean drinking water is really one of those things that I'm like, that is one of the largest failures of humanity that we Mm -hmm. have not figured out how to get clean drinking water to the entire world. The fact that anybody is still dealing with cholera is- like i said a failing of the human race
1: (laughs) yeah well i mean it's like things like uh um i mean this is a whole this is a subject i don't know a lot about Uh but i'm an opinionated motherfucker so i'm gonna say this anyway okay
0: yeah sure
1: (laughs) um i don't understand why in 2022 we have not figured out a good way to like like an efficient way to do like desalinization because it's like you have entire oceans of water. Like we have people who are literally like suffering in droughts and don't have clean drinking water right next to a fucking ocean. And I, I yeah. understand I don't this is what I say. Like I, I don't actually know anything about the technology, but it just seems like we've put people on the fucking moon. We should yeah, figure we out figure a, that out. You can't figure that out. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I I'm not gonna say anything about that because I feel like I there's information in my head, but I don't know if it's real or not. Um, <laughs> so I won't say anything about that. I do also want to hear I'm to source these things. I watched three videos about the Broad Street pump by a YouTube channel called Extra Credits. Mm. Um, and I also watched another video called John Snow and the 1854 Broad Street Cholera Outbreak by Harvard University. It's an adorable video of this woman who goes and she's there like where the pump is. And she's like talking about Soho and what it was like at the time. And, cool. blah, blah, blah. and as she's doing it and walking through, she slips like in a pile of what appears to be. <laughs> and she's like, you know, she's like, you can imagine the streets we're teeming with, and then she slips, and she's like, "Oh, yeah, and she's like, "Oh, <laughs> disgusting stuff like that." But it's it's a very cool it's a very cool little video. Um, and yeah, right. the the book, the Ghost Map, gets the name from the map that Jon Snow created right. of all of the deaths. Uh, it is it is an absolutely fascinating book. Like I said, it, it reads like a thriller. Cool. He does a really incredible job of using col- like the bacterium of cholera and turning it into like a monster. Yeah. Um, Which is, which is super cool. And it it just makes, it makes for a great read. Go out and read it right now. Put down your, (laughs) (laughs) I saw, I was about to be shitty, but I'm not gonna be shitty (laughs) about what anybody reads because reading is reading and it's awesome. (laughs) But I saw a tweet from I think somebody had taken a picture in a bookstore and it was the sort of like fantasy YA section. Mm -hmm. And the section was labeled a blank of blank and blank. And then showed (laughs) all of the books that were like a stone of roses and thorns, a (laughs) giraffe of lions and bears, you know, just a a cauldron of pearls and blood. I I was like, this is fucking hilarious.
1: I mean, even the game of Thrones books are technically a song of ice and fire. So.
0: It's a blank of blank and blank. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> awesome.
0: uh, again, no shade. Read what you want to read. They're mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Ab- if you're reading, that's fucking cool. If you're listening to audiobooks, that's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Just read, read, read. All right, that's right. my story and I'm sticking to it. Cool. All
1: right. <laughs> All right, well, my story is significantly less gross than yours. Thank God. But I think it's like quite a bit weirder. Great. So I'm going to also start with a cold open. This is actually a fairly long quote from The Guardian. Quote, it started with just a few people dancing outdoors in the summer heat arms flailing, bodies swaying, and clothes soaked with sweat. They danced through the night and into the next day, seldom stopping to eat or drink, and seemingly oblivious to mounting fatigue and the pain of bruised feet. They were still going days later. By the time the authorities intervened, hundreds more were dancing in the same frenetic fashion. But this was not one of those 80s raids that began in a remote lay-by and ended in a muddy field. Rather, it's one of the oddest epidemics to be recorded in world history, and it happened 500 years ago this summer in the French city of Strasbourg. It was there over the course of three roasting hot months in 1518 that several hundred people developed a compulsion to dance. The dance went on and on until to the horror of the crowds who gathered to watch, some of them collapsed and perished on the spot. Just what was happening? So this is the story of the dancing plagues of Europe.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Um, And there's like a whole bunch of them. A whole bunch. <laughs> like, it, like it didn't happen just one time. Yeah, which, which was something I just learned during the research for this.
0: Okay, hold on. And you can mm-hmm. cut this out if this is a spoiler. Okay. But do we find out what caused the plagues?
1: Uh, let's put a pin in that. Oh, I just need, <laughs> I, like
0: I'm saying, you can cut it out. I just want to know if we find some uh, let's, explanation. Let's,
1: there's theories. Okay. Okay. Great. I'll say that. Okay. okay so my sources are Wikipedia, mm-hmm. of course, uh, an article from the Journal of History of Medicine and Allied Sciences from July 1977 called The Dancing Pilgrims at Mulebeek, an article from The Guardian, which I just put a keep on moving the bizarre dance epidemic of summer 1518, and then the dancing plague of 1518 from the Public Domain Review. Okay. So what is a dancing mania? So this is also known as Choreomania, which comes from Greek, koros equals dance, and mania equals madness. It's also known as St. John's dance, tarantism, and the St. Vitus dance, and I'll get into where all those come from. Okay. Now the term choreomania was first coined by a Swiss physician named Paracelsus in the fifteen hundreds. Not quite the hero that Jon Snow was in their story, (laughs) but you know, he tried. He 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 was he was out there basically being like, guys, like I think the things you think is what's going on is not actually what's going on.
0: God Um, bless those God like here's the thing. I love a denier when a denier is like your theory is. Stupid and my theory is based in science. <laughs> on
1: evidence. Right.
0: Yeah, on evidence. I don't like deniers when they're like, I saw a meme yeah. that said that 5G towers are deadly. <laughs> right. Like that isn't science. It's not science.
1: Yeah. And like this Paracelsus guy, and he had like an actual Swedish or Swiss name, like a big German name, but for whatever reason, he went by Paracelsus. And it was just much easier to type that out. So that's what I'm calling him. But he was, you know, he was a physician of the 1500s. So he didn't know that much. He was probably a miasmist. Right. But he was at least out there saying, like, maybe it's not actually a curse by John the Baptist, which is what people thought at the time. So the original belief was that these dancing plagues were curse sent by some saint, either usually John the Baptist or St. Vitus. So that's where you get the St. John's dance and the St. Vitus dance. Okay, I'm not sure why they were saying St. John, but I'll get to why they were saying St. Vitus. And this is tied to this like 1518 outbreak. Now this occurred primarily in continental Europe. There are a number of incidents from the 14th to the 17th century. Okay. It, it would involve hundreds or even thousands of people dancing erratically at one time. It usually started with one or two people and then would like spread throughout the community. Those afflicted would dance until they collapsed, either from exhaustion or from injuries. It's actually not clear how many people did like die, like dance themselves to death. Okay. A lot of the primary sources, it seems like we don't know how much exaggeration there was, et etc. But it does seem like at least some people probably died. Okay. It also affected both adults and children, mm. primarily females. And I'll get to that, that ties into one of the potential uh, explanations. Okay. Uh, it was very widespread throughout Europe. It was not an isolated thing. It was also very well documented at the time. People knew a lot about it. Now it was particularly widespread along the Rhine river. Okay. And I'll, and I'll talk about that leads to another potential like explanation. Now, sometimes musicians would actually join the dancers and this was due to a theory that the music would treat the mania. So the people would start dancing and like the town elders would be like, get the fucking fiddle player over there. <laughs> like help John, help them out. <laughs>
0: grab your, grab your, uh, Uh, I was about to say Lyra, but that's not what it
1: is. (laughs) (laughs) Liar. Grab your
0: pan flute and let's fucking rock. Um, Okay, I have have a question about the dancing. Uh So, was it actual dancing or was it like flailing about? And I ask,
1: Let's put a pin in that.
0: Okay, well. Scotty gave me Scotty gave me the <laughs> pin finger, which is why yeah. I stopped speaking
1: immediately. Okay, great. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm going to cover that. Okay. So, but yeah, like I said, sometimes musicians would actually join in with the dancers. Now, this apparently would usually backfire because it would just encourage more people to join it. Not a great not a great plan. Right. Okay, so let's talk about some of the the outbreaks. So, the earliest recorded incident of dancing mania happened in the 7th century. I could not find any information about what happened there. But it apparently goes back to the 7th century. Um, another well-known early incident, maybe like the first really truly like recorded detailed incident, Mm -hmm. Happened in the city of Aachen, also known in French as Ais-la-Chapelle. This was in the Holy Roman Empire, in what is now modern-day Germany. This happened in 1374. So here's a quote from the article Dancing Pilgrims at Mule de Beek At Ais-la-Chapelle in 1374, men, women, and children joined hands and danced together in the streets for hours. The dancers shrieked, chanted, saw visions, called upon both God and demons, and finally fell down complaining of severe abdominal pain and bloating Hmm. stupor and sleep often supervened
0: so like if they were able to like if they were able to go to sleep then it would kind of
1: well it sounds like they would just dance until they passed out okay okay yeah and then the and then it just like continued to spread from there. So there's actually a drawing called the Dancing Pilgrims at Miliby called posted in social media. Awesome. It's attributed to a guy named Peter Bruegel the Elder, but it was possibly done by his son Peter Bruegel the Younger. Um, which I just I, I I missed the time where you weren't just like John Junior? Jones Junior. It's like no John Jones the Younger. You know. Yes. Um, Pliny
0: the Elder went maybe right. one of my favorite ancient <laughs> right. names.
1: So this dancing. Pilgrims at the Mulebeek, it depicts an incident that occurred in a small town near Brussels in 1564. Okay. Now, a similar phenomena occurred in Italy. This was what was called tarantism. Mm-hmm. So this also involved victims dancing spastically. But the reasons were supposed to be different. Okay. It was people weren't thinking I'm cursed by St. John or whatever. They thought they'd been bitten either by a scorpion or a tarantula. And so that's where tarantism comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this started back around the 13th century. So th- this was actually before that incident in Aachen. A victim would supposedly be bitten by a scorpion or tarantula and then start dancing. Others would join in because they believed that the venom from their old bites was like reactivated by seeing someone dancing. Now, what's not super clear <laughs> to me. I'm giving is,
0: Scotty side eye yeah. <laughs> to that theory.
1: Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's like the miasmists. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, what they, it's yep. the best I could come up with at yep. the time, I
0: guess. Yep, yep, yep.
1: You're right. What may be different about Tarantism from these other dancing manias, this was not clear to me, and I couldn't find like a good definitive answer, is whether the dancing was actually voluntary. Because it almost reads like when you read about tarantism, it's like people were like, oh, fucking spider bite bit me. And I was told by my grandmother that the way to treat this is you got to dance it you, you gotta out. You so got to I'm dance gonna... it out. <laughs> and then someone else is like, oh, my God, they got bit. Oh, I... and I was bit two weeks ago. I better dance it out, too, just to be safe. And right. then so all of a sudden people are dancing. Because this does actually sound like a different kind of dancing. Whereas when you get into the stuff that happened in like Germany and along the Rhine, it was like this frantic, <laughs> hectic dancing okay. in Tarantism, they would specifically perform the Tarantella. That's and, what I was going to
0: ask if there's a connection to that. Okay.
1: Yeah. And musicians would play along with them again, because this was supposed to help cure them. And I think this is where this dance originated, the Tarantella originated from Tarantism. It, it was okay. made, originated as this supposed cure to a spider bite. Now, if the victim wasn't cured, they would then tie themselves up with vines and whip each other, have mock sword fights, <laughs> or drink like a ton of wine. These were all thought to be cures <laughs> of tarantism. This is um, just a
0: bunch of like kinky LARPers. like that's yeah. what this
1: is. <laughs> I mean, and if it was real bad, they'd just hurl themselves into the sea. Ugh. what was not clear to me is if they were like well i'm done so here's a cliff and i'm just hurling myself into the sea right. or if they were like let me wade out into the ocean and like the ocean water or cure me <laughs> like I'm, I'm not sure what was going on there okay. um but either way none of these by the way are a cure for a scorpion bite or right a, a spider bite yeah if you're if you're bit by a tarantula just get some fucking teen. that's all you need to do
0: yeah okay because
1: mm-hmm. like a tarantula it's not gonna make it's not gonna fucking kill you like it, you get a welt that's it. Okay. But you know, they didn't know, they didn't know any better. At the they
0: didn't have back teen.
1: Right. <laughs> they didn't have back teen, So they just had to hurl themselves. They didn't the even seat. have
0: aspirin. So there we right.
1: go. <laughs> okay. So with this Tarantism, aside from the dancing, they would also have other symptoms like headaches, trembling, twitching, and hallucinations. This is something that also popped up in these dancing manias of the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, Other similarities were people would develop an aversion to the color black. Okay. Um, and again, seemed like women were affected more than men. Okay. Fem- females were affected more than males. Okay. As with other dancing manias, if the victims were not cured or if there was no music to help them, they would die. Oh. Tarantism was confined to Italy and then other parts of southern Europe. It actually lasted into the 17th century and then kind of stopped suddenly. But there were still a few small outbreaks reported up to 1959.
0: What? Yeah. Uh, Okay.
1: Okay. So let's talk about the most famous incident of dancing mania. This is what happened in Strasbourg in 1518. Okay. So this was also in the Holy Roman Empire. This was in modern day France. Now, according to this Paracelsus dude, it started in mid-July of 1518. That's another thing that seems to be in common with a lot of these stories is it would happen in like the hottest part of the summer. This was true of Tarantism as well. It always Mm -hmm. happened in the summertime. Okay. So- Supposedly, in mid-July of 1518, a lone woman stepped outside of her house and jigged for several days on end. That's a quote, by the way. <laughs> and then within a week, she had been joined by dozens more people, all who appeared to be seized by the same urge to dance. Okay. Uh, and it sounds like in Strasbourg, it was, if not entirely women, it was women and girls. It was mostly women and girls. Okay. So the dudes of town were like real judgy about it. Because they thought the ladies were just being frivolous and licentious. And they were like, we, we need to uh, be real serious about this. So we're going to ban dancing. But of course, these women are like, I can't stop. I'd love I'm to stop, so dude. Yeah. I'd
0: love to stop.
1: Um, so then the men were like, hmm, maybe they're not just being frivolous and licentious. Maybe something's happening here. Maybe something real weird is going on. So, they went to the, and I put this in scare quotes, local doctors. <laughs> what, are scare,
0: what are scare quotes? I mean,
1: it's air quotes, but okay. it's just a little more fun to say scare quotes, scare I think. Quotes. <laughs> um, but so, they went to the, quote, local doctors who, in true medieval doctor fashion, said that the dancing was caused by overheated blood in the brain. Okay. Uh, This feels a lot like when you're talking about hysteria.
0: Yeah. 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 And I just want to say like 500 years later, women are still not being listened to by their medical professionals. So all of this tracks.
1: Yeah absolutely so these men who were like i think it, the article kept referring to them as the council so he was like the town council of course i just picture like a bunch of like glowering men in powdered wigs or something i don't even know if they wore powdered wigs and i was thinking goods, of
0: like little john like friar <laughs> that works that works
1: as well <laughs> <laughs> either way they kind of sound like dicks to me but, yes you know but the, so they were like oh well you overheat a blood okay well the way to do this we just got to let these ladies dance it out just just, dance it out just dance it out so they went to the open air the big open air grain market in the middle of town and they cleared it out and then they also commandeered some of the like big guild halls they put up a stage they hired a bunch of pipers and drummers to perform um and then they herded all of the dancing ladies into these locations and just let them go just let it rip the women were then paired with dancing partners again scare quotes okay. um <laughs> who were strong men <laughs> who were basically hired to just hold the women up and just swing them around the dance floor okay a poem in the city archives describes the results of this this plan okay their madness people kept up their dancing until they felt unconscious and many died great so you know another writer who lived close to the city claimed <laughs> that 15 <laughs> people died a day during this epidemic That seems like it's probably an exaggeration. Okay. According to everything I read. It was like, eh, probably wasn't 15 people who died today. But whatever was going on, it was like people were pretty fucked up. Mm. So at this point, the council of glowering elders were like, oh, maybe this wasn't the solution. So clearly this isn't overheated blood. What this is, is the wrath of God. The women are being punished for their sins. Their sins? hmm Sure. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they went back to the whole, like, let's ban all music and dancing. That will cure it. Okay. <laughs> Didn't stop it. Obviously. Eventually, they were like, we need the intervention of a saint to help us here. Okay. So they somehow herded all of the dancing women. This is like apparently months into it or like weeks into it at least. Okay. They herded all of the dancing women to a nearby shrine that was dedicated to St. Vitus. It was in a nearby town in the hills above a town called Severn. They took the women's bloody feet and shoved them into red shoes. And I I was like, I don't know what the red shoes was about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they made them kneel around a wooden figure of St. Vitus. Within weeks, the women had stopped their, quote, wild movements.
0: Okay. Within weeks? That's not... Uh, not No, that's stupid.
1: Right, I like, hate t- everyone. T- t- took your sweet fucking time there, Saint Vitus.
0: Yeah, I mean, if the, like if it if you had been like within minutes, within hours, I would have been like, okay, maybe.
1: May- maybe Saint Vitus. But they're like within years.
0: The dancing stopped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and we'll get well, but this is part of one of the theories of maybe what this was about. Okay. So how much of this story is true? Well, something happened. It's documented. The Mm -hmm. dancing plague happened, but it does seem like there's a lot of exaggerations. Like For one thing, it's unlikely that this could have gone on for days, weeks, and months like Mm -hmm. some of the stories. A lot of the the contemporary accounts were like the women were religious subversives and this was them like spitting in the face of moral convention. It's very much like Salem witch trials kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's also pretty unlikely. Mm -hmm. So whatever happened, it appears to be some sort of either mass psychogenic illness, which is like a mass hysteria, or some sort of substance or chemical. Okay. So no one knows. No one knows for sure what caused this. So here's some of the theories. Okay. I called this section of my notes, so what the fuck? Okay, great. (laughs) Um, Yep. Some believe, and this seems like this was the belief at the time. I'm not sure how many people believe this now. Okay. That this was because of religious cults and or demonic possession. So, that you tracks. know, this, this goes with the wrath of God sinning kind of shit. Right. So here's a quote from that Guardian article. It says, the U.S. anthropologist Erica Wurwainen, it looks like a French name, and I'm a real terrible pronunciation, as everyone knows, has written about how being raised in an, quote, environment of belief in which spirit possession is taken seriously primes people to enter a dissociative mental state where normal consciousness is disabled. People then act according to culturally prescribed ideas of how the possessed should be hit. so this kind of goes with the like it might have been some sort of mass hysteria that was brought on by like a religious fervor okay and people thought they were possessed so then they it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy they created okay. a, something that appeared like a possession, possession. and okay. you know i think you can like compare this in some ways to like the speaking in tongues that happens in like certain churches where people just start speaking in tongues and it's like some reptile brain part of their mind wants this to happen so it kind of creates it you know I'm- Okay. Um, So this is possible. Uh, Something similar is known to have happened in European convents up to the 1700s, where the nuns would be afflicted by something kind of like this. They would suddenly start writhing, convulsing, foaming at the mouth, making obscene gestures, climbing trees, and meowing like cats. Which the last two seem a little less scary than the earlier things in the list. (laughs) Like the first part, I'm like, oh, that's like Reagan McNeil and the exorcist. Right, like right. Meowing like cats. Well,
0: we're sitting quietly in a corner.
1: Like <laughs> maybe they yeah. were just
0: women. Maybe that's what it was, just that they were just like, I'm 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 a woman in the fucking 15, 16, 1700s in Europe, and it sucks. So, so like I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm start just doing gonna fucking this. throw on Florence and the machine, and I'm just gonna like shake it out.
1: Fucking work it out. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> um but when you know one thing that is true about these nuns in these convents and, and mm-hmm. just the general religious fervors of the time is that these were isolated hermetically sealed communities. Mm. where like you spent all of your time just obsessing about sin, demons, and supernaturalism. Is it possible that your brain just kind of takes a walk over into crazy town? Sure. Sure. So this is one of the possible explanations. And this is one of the explanations that has been applied as well to the Salem Witch Trials. Okay. Like some sort of mass delusion brought on by religious fervor. Other people have proposed that it started as a way for... This sounds gross, but then there's a quote that makes it maybe a little less gross. So this dancing media started as a way for poor people to, quote, relieve themselves of stress and put the poverty of the period out of their minds. Okay. So here's the quote from The Guardian. It says, Life in Strasbourg in the early 1500s satisfied another basic condition for the outbreak of psychogenic illness. The Chronicles required plenty of the... The distress that brings about a heightened level of suggestibility, social and religious conflicts, terrifying new diseases. Mm. Heart- failures and spiking wheat prices caused widespread misery. A chronicler described 1517. So the year before with poignant brevity as a quote, bad year, the following summer, orphanages, hospitals, and shelters were overflowing with the desperate. These were ideal conditions for some of the city's needy to imagine that God was angry with them and that St. Vitus stalked their streets. Hmm. So this is sort of related to the earlier explanation of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, a religious fervor based mass delusion. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason why people started really equating it with St. Vitus and became known as the St. Vitus dance was because in Strasbourg, they took the women to the shrine of St. Vitus and they were cured weeks later.
0: Weeks later.
1: Weeks later, right. <laughs> now, this Paracelsus guy, the okay. Swiss physician, he was the first to theorize a purely physical cause and to set aside the more popular theories like demonic possession. Okay. So this is where I say he wasn't quite the hero that Jon Snow was, because mm-hmm. it sounds like he was just like in the background being like, guys, I think you're being real dumb, but I don't <laughs> think he like did anything to help anybody. Okay. Um. So here's what he had to say. He said, such diseases have nothing to do with the work of saints. The cause is in the laughing veins which comprehended their spirit in such a subtle way that they're tickled into dancing and joy. So it's like, okay, you started in the right direction and then you rode that bike (laughs) into a ditch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right off the rails. Yeah. Um,
1: But was there a physical cause? That's the question, right? One clue may come from this Pieter Bruegel, the Elder's Drawing. You know, the the dancing pilgrims at Muleby. Because it shows that all of the, quote, dancers are women. And that they're being supported by two men. They're also surrounded by, like, pipers. Okay. Now, this tracks with descriptions of the dance epidemics, which, aside from the Tarantism, which they're dancing, the specific Tarantella dance, Mm -hmm. the dancing, quote, unquote, really kind of sounds like seizures.
0: That's, okay, that's what I was wondering. Mm -hmm. I was like, are we sure that this is dancing and it's not? Exactly something else
1: so if you look at the picture and like i said i'll post on social media the women don't really look like they're dancing they look like they're in distress and their, quote, dance partners appear to be, like, restraining them or trying to carry them away. Um, okay. This clearly is showing that the dancers are sick and possibly in the grip of something like a seizure. It doesn't really make sense that this would have been, like, epilepsy. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, epilepsy isn't contagious. Right. But it could be related to some sort of substance or pathogen. So not, like, a mass delusion, but some something, you yeah. know. One of the most common theories that I think makes a lot of sense. is that it might have been caused by ergot poisoning or Ergotism. Okay. Um, so what is ergotism? What is it? So in continental Europe, most of the outbreaks occurred along the Rhine River where merchants and soldiers traveled and spread stories of the dancing plagues. The story of the dancers in Strasbourg being cured by St. Vitus was also widely disseminated. So it's possible that this ergot poisoning, like well, basically what this is saying is that like it could have started with ergot poisoning and then bred into some sort of mass delusion. Because the idea of like, oh my god, did you hear about what happened in Strasbourg? Asberg, all the women were possessed then kind of spreads to other communities it gets kind of lodged in their mind mm-hmm. right but it's also possible that these merchants going up and down the rhine are selling grain food okay. again we're talking contamination here okay um ergot poisoning or ergotism is widely known to have afflicted europe at this time and it lasted until the early 20th century it basically happens when large groups of people eat things that are made out of rye which has been contaminated by something called claviceps which is a parasitic fungus. Mm. And it's a fungus that is actually chemically related to LSD. Ooh, so okay. if you read stories of the Salem Witch Trials, a lot of people also tie that to possible ergot poisoning. Okay. Ergotism can occur in both, quote, chronic and acute forms. But these dramatic examples of what can happen seem to be more like the acute poisoning. So here's okay. what happens with acute ergotism. Several days after eating the fungus, the victim will experience severe nausea which will then lead to vomiting, diarrhea, and intense abdominal cramps. Remember in the early stories that the the people would dance until they would collapse, and then they would complain about being bloated or having like abdominal cramps.
0: Right, right, right.
1: This is also followed by itching and tingling in the extremities, and often the sensation of insects crawling all over the skin. So if you go back to my Bell Witch story, people have also pointed to ergot poisoning, because if you Mm -hmm. remember, the daughter was feeling like insects. Right, right, right. Okay. Victims will develop a rash. And then as you get into the later stages of her gut poisoning, a couple different things that can happen, and they're both pretty fucking horrifying. Okay. So this is like the most this is the closest to yours in terms of like this is kind of gross. So you start getting muscle spasms throughout the body and a tearing pain in the limbs. So Muscle spasms can create erratic movements, Mm -hmm. right? And then it kind of goes one of two ways. In extreme cases, the extremities will then go numb and eventually turn gangrenous, at which point they will, quote, auto-amputate. So this usually happens to people in the nose, the ears, and the fingers. They will go gangrenous and fall off. Oh, Yeah. But if it doesn't go in the gangrenous direction, it leads to what is called epileptiform ergotism, which is characterized by extreme convulsions. Okay. So go back to Bruegel's picture. It doesn't look like the women are dancing. It looks like they're being caught in the, quote, clonic muscle spasms of Mm -hmm. epileptiform ergotism.
0: Mm, okay. So,
1: what about the whole St. Vitus cure that took mm-hmm. weeks to happen? Yeah.
0: What about well, that it's one? It's possible
1: what happened is if the grain in the town of Strasbourg was contaminated with this fungus, they took them to the shrine, which is again, remember, it's in the next town over up in the hills. The women were being fed from the grain from that town, which maybe was not tainted by the fungus, and it eventually just kind of cleared out of their systems. <sighs> Which okay. would make sense that it took weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. would
0: make sense. Absolutely.
1: So like I said, ergotism is also often implicated in the Salem witch trials. Okay. Um, In the 17th century, people diagnosed it as being something called Sydenham chorea. So this is a disorder that is characterized by rapid, uncoordinated jerking movements, movements, primarily affecting the face, hands, and feet. This, rather than being caused by a fungus, this Sydenham chorea, it's an autoimmune disease that results from a childhood infection from the streptococcus bacteria. So it's like strep can cause this. Mm -hmm. This will occur in 20 to 30% of those afflicted with rheumatic fever. It usually lasts a few weeks, but sometimes linger for months, where, again, it's the rapid and coordinated jerking movements, spasms, seizures. It's far more common in females than males and would most often affect children between 5 and 15 years of age. So Mm -hmm. Sydenham's chorea is also posited as a possible cause, both for the dancing plagues and for the Salem Witch Trials. Because if you remember the Salem Witch Trials, it all started with like the young girls, right? yeah. but long story short, no one really knows. Like it's never been determined what happened. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is that other than the Tarantism, mm-hmm. which does sound like it might be more of like a cultural superstition than an actual like mm-hmm. dancing plagues, you know, that lasted until 1959. But these dancing plagues stopped around like the 17th, 18th century, which is like when different food processing methods were used, you know, you've had yep. much less incidence of ergotism. So I tend to, I tend to think it's the ergot poisoning interesting okay but again no one knows and that is the story of the dancing plagues of Europe
0: (sighs) oh how exhausting
1: yeah (laughs) yeah just thinking about like days of just like you know. Yeah. that It sounds miserable.
0: And you said, you said up into the 1950s?
1: Well, that was the Tarantism.
0: Okay. Okay. So that's
1: the Italian one, which like I said, that might've been voluntary dancing and that could have been more like folklore superstition. Okay. So that would have been, I got bit by a thing and I was taught that this is how you cure it. And it makes sense that that might last longer. You know, folk remedies can last however long people believe in them. Right. The fact that the dancing plagues of the Holy Roman Empire along the Rhine were over a very particular period of time that Mm. kind of lapped with the Salem witch trials, by the way, to me points to something like ergot poisoning. So, but we don't know. Nobody knows.
0: Interesting.
1: (laughs) I'm knocking shit over I, as I spastically start jerking.
0: In, exactly. And we, yeah. And then I'm just like, but goodbye, everybody. Done. Um, as I call the ambulance, God, that's nutty. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Well done.
1: Yeah. So, uh, this is, uh, hopefully we're closing out the COVID-19 pandemic with our own like pandemic stories and the weirdest thing podcast. Let's knock on wood real quick.
0: Or it's just gonna, or it's just that everybody's like, we're done. Like we're, we're just done. we're done with it. Right. Sorry. Back yeah. to normal. <laughs> um. But regardless, this is a, this is a brief goodbye from me. Mm-hmm. Scotty has a bunch of cool stuff lined up for you. Like I said, when I can, I'll pop back in. So uh, mm-hmm. you won't have to wait until September to see me, but hopefully right. knock on wood, mm-hmm. but I'll so that might happen because i'm gonna be real busy
1: yeah we're just gonna have to play this by ear
0: yeah we're just gonna play it by ear everybody so yeah go out and read the ghost map um don't eat any bad grain um (laughs) and i won't see you next time but scotty will and in between then stay weird stay curious and uh we'll talk to you all later (laughs) bye bye friends will blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find might be true and that's the weirdest thing